How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend already. And as is our tradition, which we don't have many, <laughs> we don't have many traditions, but as our tradition is uh, weekends, Saturdays is Q&A day, generally. So what we do is we open up the floor to if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything. If you like to talk about anything, seriously, anything, go ahead and bring it up and uh, <laughs> uh, we'll uh, hash it out, hammer it out, we'll debate it, we'll argue it, we'll fight it, we'll, and uh, we'll see what does the Bible say about it. That's the whole point, though, is we want to try, if possible, to bring everything back around to a bi biblical text, a biblical meaning. So if there's anything on your heart, on your mind that you'd like to talk about, go ahead, ask away. Got a bunch of stuff on our board uh, for today. So you wouldn't believe how hard it is <laughs> to just to sit here and try, and try to come up with discussion topics. Okay. Just, it's actually a bit of a challenge. Uh, some, sometimes I actually can't think of anything and I'm just kind of spitballing it. So yeah, so um, if there's anything you'd like to talk about, bring it up. And we also have a bunch of stuff that we're going to be also going over to the board for uh, as I go along, kind of fill in, or if we have time, we'll see how much of this stuff we can cover. So there we go. All right. So good morning, good morning. And no, I didn't get another Tim Hortons coffee. I'm just reusing a cup I got uh, yesterday, actually. I like the cups. The colorful. The Tim Hortons cups. So now you know for proof. There you go. There's proof. I'm Canadian. So there you go. Canadians and their Tim Hortons. <laughs> okay, so this past week has been a bit of a... Uh, uh, heavy one, I should say. Now, I don't plan the messages. They just come about as we go through the Word of God. We're doing our, our walkthroughs of the Gospel of Luke. And we come across different things that we discuss. And this week, it's been a bit of a heavy one. As things that the Lord has been bringing up that have really been hitting home to challenge us. To challenge our walk. To challenge our, our uh, perceptions of things. To, to really think and examine what it is that we got going on so please make sure you check these out and uh show your support by liking the videos as well and show your support by liking the videos also please understand that the christian coffee time ministry we don't monetize anything just fyi we don't monetize any of our material uh, from the broadcast to the podcast to the website to everything else we don't monetize anything uh, so the christian coffee time material that we put that we put out that you know my broadcasts my podcasts that my messages that i've written on reddit and all this stuff the christian coffee time material is free for use so you can download share copy the christian coffee time material please make sure you it is ours because we do sometimes save other people's videos into our playlists and stuff. So you'll see if it's me or not. But if it's Christian Coffee Time material, feel free to download, copy, share, 
any of the Christian Coffee Time material, please go ahead. Um, it's the Word of God, and it's meant to be shared, and it's meant to be promoted. So there you go. And we don't have uh, PayPal links, PayPal me links, Cash me link apps in our bios, any of that kind of stuff. We don't do that here. Um, if you want to support, that's completely up to you, but we're not going to beg or any of that kind of thing. We don't monetize anything. We do it. We do this work voluntarily because we want to, because we love the Lord, because the Word of God needs to get out there, and it's not dependent on money. We're not in it for the money. So, But uh, there are some individuals who do uh, help uh, support this ministry, and I just want to take a moment just to... Thank you folks so much from the bottoms of our heart uh, for, all, for all of your support, for your prayers, your fellowship, and even so, some of you folks have donated to help support this ministry. We just want to thank you so much for that, and it really helps uh, the Lord that blesses so much in this way. Also, um, they also want to mention we got a, a, uh, a shipment. I can't pick it up right now. It weighs like 5,000 pounds. Uh, a box uh, that was actually donated to us from some good friends of ours. They run an, an amazing, an amazing uh, a gospel ministry over in Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, it's People's Gospel Hour is the ministry name. People's Gospel Hour. They're a radio broadcast ministry. And they have... Uh, amazing content amazing stuff there so i'd highly recommend you please go check them out it's called people's gospel hour they're located in nova scotia canada and uh it's a good friends uh, friends of ours over there um we contacted them because we know that they provide uh gospel tracks and some of that kind of material so we were looking for some more gospel tracks so we we hit them up to to let them know that uh, we, we would like some more so they went ahead and donated just gave us a huge box stuffed with over 5,000 tracks <laughs> and they said, said it does out here have this for free I, I couldn't believe it I was blown away I, I just speechless we opened the box and it's just packed packed with stacks on stacks of gospel tracks I couldn't believe it they just it gave it to us to, uh, to help provide for this ministry so again just want to do a shout out for people's gospel hour amazing people over there god-fearing uh sound powerful uh christians over there so please make sure you check out their ministry they got awesome stuff and i'm sure there's a way you could also if you want it you could hit, hit them up to listen listen to them on the radio when they're doing their radio broadcasts um, you can always contact them and they can give you all information that you need and uh, so yeah please check out people's gospel hour all right so um this kind of segues into another little topic that i want to talk about uh, just for a moment and if you folks have any other comments questions topics things whatever go ahead ask away uh, first come first serve we'll get to your questions as soon as we can but just go ahead fire away in the comments so uh the one thing i want to talk about that i got on my board here is uh i did a little bit of a video um where i talk about different gospel passages now i find it odd that if you've seen the video you know what i'm talking about i find it odd how even putting out the video and explaining what 
I, I thought that I explained it pretty clearly, but I find it weird how so many people just, they can't grasp what I'm saying. Now, okay, let me just kind of go over this just a little bit again, maybe a little less heated than I did the first time. Okay, I'm a fiery guy. I get passionate, I get worked up, sometimes I can get fiery, and sometimes I may not come across very clear in some of my explanations or whatever. And my family, my wife, my friends are always telling me to calm down because I have a tendency to get all worked up. Okay, so let's try to talk about this again, this time a little more calm. All right, so... You may have heard people say this. You may have seen people post about this. You may not have, depending. Because it's it's kind of only really seen heard in uh, apologetics groups. When you get out there and you start debating, you start, start to see crazy, wacko uh, opinions from some people. Now, there is, there is this, this teaching out there. It's a false teaching. They say that, well, there's the one group who heavily emphasize on 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. Now, what they do with this is they take 1 Corinthians 15, let's actually read it, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay. It's kind of an outline, just a, a quick summarization of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4 is. A quick summarization of a basic outline of the gospel. Now, there are people who take that passage specifically. And they hyper-emphasize on that passage alone. And they say that passage alone saves you. That you have to believe 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Not Romans 10, 9-10. Not John 3, 16. No, you're only saved if you believe 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Not, not Acts 10, 43. Not Ephesians 1, 7 or 1, 13. Not, not uh, uh, any, any other passage. Not John chapter 3, verse 3. No, it has to be 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. If you don't believe 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, then you're not saved. Not these, not the, the huge multiplicity of other Bible passages. Not Acts 16, 30-31. No, it has to be 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. That's what I'm talking about. There are crazy, wacko people out there who hyper-cherry-pick a single passage and say, you you can only believe this one. You have to believe this one, this specific passage right here. Not all these other ones. These other ones can't save you. They Only this one can. Yeah. And yesterday, 
I came across another individual who, of the same mindset, was saying the same thing, except they were emphasizing Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Let's read it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He was saying the same thing. That Romans 10, 9 is the only passage that can save you. That that all the others are, are, are good and all this stuff, but it's Romans 10, 9 that saves you. All right. This is wrong. That That's a wrong way to look at the word of god that that's a wrong understanding of salvation you're not saved by words it's not by a specific selected wordology enchantment that saves you it's the understanding of what the gospel is and who Jesus is and that you're, you're repentant of your sins and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. It doesn't matter what passage it is. Implying that one passage is better than another, whether you say it or not, but the implication, implying, that one passage is better than another is heresy. That's wrong. That, that, that is mistreatment, misrepresentation of the word of God. Now, you may have a personal favorite. Some people prefer John 3.16 over the others. Some people prefer uh, John 3.3. 3. You must be born again. Some people prefer Romans 10, 9 to 10. They, hey, you're allowed to have your favorite passages. That's not a problem. But to imply that some passages are better than others is wrong. Okay, so let's, let's just talk about just for a moment. How is one saved? How is one saved? Is it by reading a specific passage of scripture and specifically believing the specific words in that specific verse? No. No. Now, if we take a look at the overall explanation from scripture of what it says who Jesus is. Now, it's knowledge of Christ. It's understanding Jesus Christ as the word of God explains him. You take all the gospel, all scripture. To him gave all the prophets witness, Acts 10, 43, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him will receive forgiveness of sins. So Jesus Christ, who is he according to the word of God? Why are you believing in Jesus? For what purpose? Why? Now, the specificity of the words is not what saves. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is the one that 
opens the understanding. He's the one that enlightens the mind, gives the understanding, convicts the individual of sin, draws them to the cross, gives them the taste of the uh, taste of the glorious gospel of truth. He's the one that opens the mind. He's the one that draws the soul. He's the one that saves. He's the one that washes away the sins, Titus 3, 5. Now, does it matter which passage of scripture that you use? No. There have been people who have gotten saved by many, 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 many differing verses from Scripture. Any one of these can be used to bring the person to understanding. Because it's the Word of God as a whole that is specific. God gave all Scripture, not one verse, and a couple verses over here, and the rest are fill-ins. God gave all scripture, and God does not have a favorite verse. That might be a shocker, but God does not have a favorite verse. They're all his favorite because they're all his word, and all scripture is magnified above his very name. We talked about that this past week, that, that his word is preserved unto all generations, and he's magnified his word above his very name. All scripture is his favorite. That you could use Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And believe it or not, people have come to the understanding of the enlightenment of the truth from Genesis 1.1 and have called upon the Lord for their salvation. Yeah. So, highly emphasizing one passage as more important than another is gross misrepresentation of the word of God. It doesn't matter what passage you use. Now, what does save? What does save an individual? That, as we talked about, primary doctrines over secondary doctrines. Are you saved by just believing in God generically? No. No. Okay, so, saved from what? From our sins. Save from our sins. Okay. How do I know I'm a sinner? Well, you take a look at the, the passages in Romans. That talks about and explains how we're all sinners. Okay. Well, well how, how can I know I'm a sinner? Well, you take a look at the Old Testament law. Take a look at the law of God, which, which is used as schoolmaster to bring us to sin. So you got Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, now what? Now let's look at the prophets that told of the Christ Messiah that would come. We build a case and prove Jesus Christ. So we got all scripture that comes in. Not just one passage over here. All scripture is required. All scripture must be believed. All scripture must be understood in context in conjunction with what what saves me save from what so we see that as even philip the evangelist used isaiah 53 to bring the ethiopian eunuch to understanding of his salvation isaiah 53 so you so you folks saying first corinthians 15 1 to 4 is more important so you're saying that philip didn't use good scripture that he shouldn't have used isaiah 53 
Well, what about what about Paul the apostle talking with the jailer when the when the earthquake happened and the ripped the doors open and the chains fell off the prisoners and Paul and Paul standing there and the jailer comes running in falls at the feet of Paul and says sirs what must I do to be saved and Paul says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved now you are you saying that what Paul told the jailer was wasn't the best example of the gospel that he should have said something else so. What scripture then should be used? What scripture speaks of Christ? What scripture speaks of Christ? Well, what does the word of God say? In the volume of the book it is written of me. That all scripture speaks of Christ. You could use any any passage any chapter. You could use any argument from scripture. You could use any scripture to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that, you can have your favorite passages. I have my favorites. As a street preacher, I have my favorite ones that I use all the time. I just go out there and just repeat the same ones over and over and over and over and over again. Just going over and presenting the gospel. I, I have my favorites, but I don't say that one is better than another and that you're you that, that to be saved you have to you have to believe this one that this is the this is the magic verse that saves you. No. The blood of Jesus Christ by the spirit of God is what saves you by your belief upon him by grace through faith alone. So, you can argue all you want. And those of you who want to be some kind of form of of christian mystics to think that one passage is better than another well you need to go back and actually read the bible again and reevaluate your doctrines because you're misrepresenting the word of god so there you go okay let's go down the list here jen has a question is advent biblical or just traditional advent well, an advent is the arrival, uh, the, the culmination of the arrival of a person, place, or thing. So, uh, advent of what? The advent of what? So, advent itself is a, is a general term that is used to describe a specific person, place, or thing. So, the context here is what what I uh, what I'd be assuming is you mean by the advent of Jesus Christ, by uh, the um, the birth of Jesus Christ is celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ biblical. Okay, let let's let's just kind of look at this one again. So is is celebrating. The arrival of the Christ Messiah biblical is is rejoicing that Holy Scripture is fulfilled for our salvation biblical. Is it okay to celebrate that the prophecies of the Christ Messiah were fulfilled for our salvation? Is it okay to celebrate that the Lamb of God came into this world as the Scripture says, as God promised to save us from our sins biblical? Is it wrong to celebrate that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, our Christ Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, came and fulfilled scripture and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead the third day to save our souls is is it wrong to celebrate that in any way shape or form all 
I'll wait until you answer. I dare anyone to say no, it's not biblical. I dare anyone to say we shouldn't. Well, the Bible doesn't say that we should. The Bible doesn't talk about televisions and cars and guitars either. So, let's not be weird Pharisees, weird legalistic Pharisees, and say, well, you shouldn't celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. What kind of utter nonsense is that? If you're one of those people, I'm just going to say it right now. I, a blanket just statement here. If you, if anybody listening to this broadcast, if you are one of those people who says that we should not celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, you're not welcome in Christian coffee time. If you don't like that, tough. My broadcast, tough. Well, Jesus wasn't born on December 25. And so, however, therefore, uh, does it matter what day it is that you celebrate Jesus Christ? No. What does the Bible say? One man esteems one day uh, better than the other. Does it matter what day it is? You really want to argue this one? Okay, let's argue this one. All right, what about the days of the week? Okay, if you're going to harp on uh, December 25, then you cannot you cannot mention the names of the days of the week. Uh, do you really want to go down this road? Okay, let's go down this road. Therefore, you shouldn't have personal birthdays because you know where that comes from? What about candles on a birthday cake? You know, that's candle magic witchcraft. You make a wish and blow the candle out. That's candle flame gazing. That's that's, that's ca casting a spell through the flame on the candles. Um, how how about how about all the other holidays? What about the what about the months? What about the years? What about New Year's? What about Thanksgiving? You really want to be a legalistic Pharisee? Go live as a monk in a monastery. Then doesn't matter what day it is. Well, well, December twenty five is this that okay. Just, just shut up for a moment. Uh, do you really see people out there worshipping the sun, worshipping Tammuz, worshipping Isis and Horus on December 25? Or do you see people decorating their homes with fancy colors and celebrating and worshipping Jesus Christ? Or do you see people gathering together to rejoice and celebrate together and sing songs about Jesus Christ? Read the word of God to celebrate Jesus Christ. To have special Sunday services to worship Jesus Christ, to have additional special services to celebrate Jesus Christ. Are you really going to tell people to stop celebrating Jesus Christ because it's December 25? Really? If you're, if you're one of those people, and this is to anyone, if you're one of those people, get out. I, I, I'm, I'm sick to death of hearing those kinds of arguments, it's stupid, it's nonsensical, it's idiotic, it's ignorant, it doesn't make sense.
seriously there's nothing wrong with celebrating jesus christ on any day of any week of any month of any year we should never ever ever hinder staunch delay or stop the worship of jesus christ all because some pagans many many eons ago did a thing on this day I bet you, if you did some research, you would find that some crazy satanic pagan somewhere did a thing on the day of your birthday. So does that mean you shouldn't celebrate your birthday on your birthday because some pagans did a thing way long time ago? Like, seriously. I can't stand those arguments. I can't stand that logic. And if someone gets upset about that, tough. This is my opinion on this. I'm entitled to my opinion. If you want to disagree, you can disagree. But don't bring that idiocy up in here. So, is celebrating the arrival of Jesus Christ biblical? Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Unwavering. Yes. Abs go for it. Go out in the streets. Dance in the street. Sing in the praises of Jesus Christ. Go for it. Go for it. De decorate the halls in celebration of Jesus Christ. Go out in the street and start singing and start praising and start shouting and screaming. And the, the name of Jesus Christ, go up in the hills, lift up your, your voice like a trumpet and declare to the people the air of their ways. The Lord loves it. The Lord loves to see and hear his people celebrate him. Well, the Bible doesn't say we should. Hey. But if you go down the street, you know, so many miles, you turn right, you might find a stone monastery there where you can cast off all your technology and you can go live in your hypocrisy and legalism in a special stone room cell. And you can just sit in there and you can just chant, chant your little chants there and you can just, just warm yourself with your own hip, hip, hypocrisy, okay? You go down there. All right. Let's move on. Told you I get worked up. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, uh, going down through here. Uh, okay, I was just like the red letter Christians. I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. It sounds vaguely familiar, that term, but I, I'm, you'll have to remind me. I don't quite remember what that term means well what do you mean by like the red letter christians okay uh okay before we get to that one we'll just finish up this thought before we move along <laughs> okay and space has a question what actually i'm gonna be talking about santa claus so you'll have to wait we'll, we'll be talking about santa claus i mean odin in a, in a few minutes all right um okay going down through the comments here okay as i i was ivan uh, mentions okay yes we were talking about how is one saved and ivan puts uh by realizing their sinfulness and turning to christ for hope that's right absolutely turning to the lord jesus christ for the hope of our salvation as he did all the work he did all he did everything and look what paul said to the jailer believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved there you go. So an understanding who Jesus is and what he did for us. And that, that one passage is not better than another. 
So some may go into more detail than others, but it doesn't mean that they're better than others. And it doesn't matter which one you use. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's as simple as that. Yep. So yeah, and uh, I made this one up a while ago. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. No more, no less. Anyone trying to add or subtract from that is trying to sell you a gospel of hell. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, however, plus, they're trying to sell you a gospel of hell. Okay. Uh, Space says, I go to a lot of Christian chat rooms. Uh, right there, I would tell you that's, that's not a... A safe thing to do <laughs> you're gonna get a lot of couch masters a lot of special lazy boy experts uh, uh, hanging around the chat rooms to give you all of their personal opinions and ideologies from their own thinking and meditations uh, where they haven't received any proper sound doctrinal biblical study you're gonna get a lot of wacky stuff in those rooms um, yeah I go to a lot of Christ, uh, Christian chat rooms, and a, and a lot go against once saved, always saved, because they say it gives one a pass to sin. So says the sinners. Now, you see, the error, the flaw of that kind of statement is right there it presumes the that uh, the the implication that they because they are working to keep to maintain their salvation that they're not sinners and that they are less sinners than others um hold on one second i need to share something this oh i'm such a good person thank you lord because i don't sin like these other people the pharisee lord i thank thee that i am not like this publican i thank you lord that that i don't sin as much and that i'm a better christian because i do this and i do that i give of my substance and i go and do this and i'm a better person because you know okay how many times did Jesus speak against those kinds of people? How many times did he tell off those hypocrites? We're saved by grace. The Bible, the word of God, from God's own mouth, God says, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. It's not a reward. It's a gift of God, not of works, not of ourselves. And those hypocritical Pharisees are saying, no, it is by works, because otherwise you just get to go and sin. Says the sinner, please show me how you don't sin, and I'll show you how you're a liar. Isn't that 
kind of what the word of God says. So what about what about Apostle Paul? So are they literally implying that they are better than the Apostle Paul? who talked about quite often that he struggled with sin. He struggled with concupiscence, that sexual desire because he was single. Uh, how, how about all these uh, all these issues? With, uh, things I want to do, I can't do. And things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin. They kind of shoot themselves in the foot with their own logic. So these people who deny once saved, always saved, are literally saying that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 3, 5, and Galatians 2, 16, and all the rest of the word of God that talks about grace is wrong. That they are the saved ones because they don't sin. <laughs> really? If any man say he has not sinned, he's a liar. So what they are literally saying is salvation is by works. But the Bible says it's not. So I'm going to believe the Bible. And I'm going to call those people lying hypocrites. So, there you go. Okay, Space says, question, since it's near Christmas, do you have any insight on people calling out Christmas trees as pagan? They're very militant on that. That's actually on the list today. Alright, I, I cringe and kind of going into this because I know that certain people really feel strongly about some of these things. Now, um, You're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to your beliefs. Now, what you want to do in this regard is completely up to you. But what I'm going to talk about here is what the Bible says in regards to all I'm going to do is just read you a couple Bible passages. That's it. That's all I'm going to do here. And if this makes you kind of go all up in arms, then that's completely up to you. You can go up in arms all you want. Now, these people who condemn Christmas trees, now I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue. If Christmas trees are pagan or whatever, or people did a thing with a tree a long time ago, then does that make all trees bad? No. Is it wrong to have trees in your house? No. Is it wrong to hang decorations on a tree? No. Is it wrong to put lights in your window? No. So these folks that condemn Christmas trees, whether they're right or not, all I'm going to address, all right, is the passage that they commonly quote as proof, quotation marks, proof from the Bible that Christmas trees are bad. All right, let's just see, okay, what does the Bible actually say? All right, I'm just going to read the passage. All I'm going to do is read the passage. Now, I'm not arguing about the, his, the, the historical aspects or any of that kind of thing. All I'm addressing is the biblical context, okay? Now, Jeremiah chapter 10 is the passage that you hear them quote all the time about the, uh, about the, 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 the woodsman. It goes out and cuts down a tree, brings it back, and decks it with silver and gold. Okay, and they say that's a Christmas tree. Let's see if it is. All right, I'm open to being proven wrong, but it has to be from the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word 
which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen. Okay, hold up for a second. What is the way of the heathen? Well, the heathen are the ones that are a law unto themselves, who worship their own gods, who worship the works of their hands, who serve the, the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes. Okay. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of the heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Christmas trees? Neither also is it in them to do good. Christmas trees? Christmas trees speak not. Christmas trees cannot move and walk around. They cannot go. They have to be carried around. And the Christmas trees cannot do evil. Christmas trees don't have them in them to do good what's this talking about how is this a christmas tree okay hold up for a second now notice when you actually take jeremiah chapter 10 verses 2 to 6 that's talking about this and you break it down word by word all right that it's talking about idol making idol making where verse 2, learning the way of the heathen. Verse 3, working and crafting out of a tree, carving the wood. And verse 4, plating and decking the carved work with gold and silver, fastening it so, it, it, so that it cannot move. Verse 5, they speak not, they can't move, are carried about by the people. Verse 6, there is, this is not a, this is not, uh, sorry, there is not like thee, no other gods that are like the Lord God. So we see actually a repeat of this in Psalms 135. Psalms 135, verse 15. The idols of the heathen, the way of the heathen, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Interesting. Psalms 115. Psalms 115. Again, we see in Psalms 115, verses 4 to 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. So, is Jeremiah 10 talking about Christmas trees? No. 
It's talking about actually cutting down a tree and carving the wood into the shape of a statue and idol and then plating the wooden carved work with silver and gold, fastening it down and then carrying it around on their shoulders and worshipping it when it has eyes and mouths and ears and hands and feet, but it can't do anything and they that make them are like unto them. Jeremiah 10 is talking about idol making, not making Christmas trees. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, again, folks, if you don't want a tree, don't have a tree. Now, let's talk about just for a moment. All right. Let's talk about just for a moment about the whole tree thing originally. Now, I've personally heard a number of different origins of the tree thing some said it's an oak tree some said it's an evergreen some said it's a different tree some say it came from the romans some say it came from the babylonians some say it came from egypt some said it came from germany see the problem is there is such a wide conflicting argument about the Christmas tree thing that one can't actually make an adamant definitive statement on it now you can pick one of those origin stories and run with it that's your prerogative that's up to you but the problem is is that the actual truth of the matter is no one really knows where it came from now are Christmas trees idols no it, it, there's there, there's no difference between putting decorations on a tree or putting decorations on a cake you know my grandparents many years ago many many years ago they went down to arizona and i think it was arizona and for christmas they actually used a tumbleweed <laughs> they got a couple tumbleweeds and stacked them up and put some lights through the tumbleweeds and so you, you could use a palm tree tumbleweed you could use a, a, a desert cactus uh, you, or you don't have to have anything you don't you don't even have to do anything don't put up any decoration don't do anything that's entirely your right your liberty you can do whatever you want you're under no obligation to have to participate in anything my point is if you can't definitively prove from scripture that such a such a thing is wrong then why are you saying it's wrong you're saying it's wrong because you don't like it and because someone else brought some other argument up from somewhere that of their opinion and feelings and because they don't like it. Well, we should only celebrate the feasts in the Bible. Wrong. Acts 15. No, we are under no obligation to have to celebrate the feasts of the scriptures either. If you want to, you can. Absolutely, you can celebrate... Uh, 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 all of the, the different feasts and holidays in the Bible, if you want to, but you don't have to. You don't have to. So just saying, is our plants wrong? No. Is having a tree wrong? No. Is bringing a tree into your house wrong? No. Is putting decorations on a tree that God made wrong? No. 
okay? Um, what's your purpose? Why are you doing that? Because it looks pretty, okay? Um, is there any reason why you're doing that specifically? It's because it's what people do in December. Is there anything specifically heathen or pagan of putting tinsel on a tree? No. Okay. Is there anything wrong with buying gifts for people? No. What about putting them under the tree? Is that sin? No. Okay. What's the problem? Because some people said it's wrong. Okay. Um, scripture, please. Scripture, please. If you're going to condemn something as sin, you must back it up with scripture. Learn not the way of the heathen. Then stop celebrating your birthdays. Then, then stop uh, having anything to do with any pleasures of any uh, of anything with this world. Stop working for people. Stop going out. Stop uh, wearing fancy clothes. And you need to uh, sell all and give to the poor. All right, I can really go down that road if you want. All right. Some people want us to live by law. All right, so there you go. Now, okay, so let's segue right into Santa Claus. Now, some of you remember uh, what I have to say about Santa Claus. Um, now, this is where it gets a little fun because it's like it's it's like the the same thing as telling telling a little kid that Santa Claus doesn't exist. <gasps> Santa Claus doesn't exist. Okay, now, as you know. My background, uh, my ancestry, I talk about it often, that my ancestry is uh, Norse. If you, uh, when we did the study and uh, looked at our ancestry, if you go back far enough, we actually go back to Norway, that actually my ancestors were Vikings. Hence the big red beard. So, hence the fiery temper and disposition. Um, now, in studying Norse mythology, and Norse history and all this kind of stuff. And especially in my unsafe days, I did a lot more of this kind of study. I came across something really interesting that I've never seen before. And it was quite eye-opening. I never realized this. So buckle down, Dorothy. We're not, we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm about to blow the Santa Claus thing wide open. Now, back in the 70s, I think it was, is when Coca-Cola... Uh, presented this new repackaged Santa Claus looking guy creature. Um, this this uh, obese, jolly, uh, sleigh riding, gift presenting character. Uh, now, it's always kind of puzzled me where did they get that? The, the, the ideas of Santa Claus, what he looks like, what he does, where he comes from, and how he moves around. Where did this come from? Where, where does come? So uh, I've been kind of on and off over the many years, doing a little bit of a study here and there, research, trying to find stuff. And then all of a sudden, one day, uh, the, the door just busted wide open, and I found it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I'm stalling. Building suspense. Okay, now, Santa Claus. 
That's the problem with the lids on these cups. Splash bit. Alright, so Santa Claus is Odin. You know, the Viking Norse god, Odin, the father of Thor? Odin is Santa Claus. Now, let's take a look at the similarities. Now, you can argue this if you want. I challenge you to a debate on this. But if we take a look at the characters, we take Odin of Norse Viking mythology over here, Santa Claus over here, and start listing all of the different things. Now, let's take a look at Odin, the, the, the false god, the false god Odin, and let's take a look at who he is and his background and what he looked like and all this. Now, now uh, space, no, uh, what you're thinking of is the quotation mark Saint Nick. Saint Nick was the saint who is actually a different character and not Santa Claus. That Saint Nick that they, they kind of gave him the, the same kind of similarities as Santa Claus. But Saint Nick is different, actually. Anyways, uh, let's go back to this. So Odin. Now, Odin, according to Norse mythology, is depicted as as uh, a tall a tall guy wearing a long red coat with a long white beard. Always carried a big staff. Now, Odin was a master of witchcraft. Now, that's why he also had he had has one eye because he actually sacrificed his eye by ripping out his eye throwing it in this special magic well and and making wishes uh, um uh, and uh, actually desiring the powers and it was granted unto him magic abilities and he became an all-knowing all-seeing all-powerful god a master of witchcraft and odin moves around with his eight-legged horse <laughs> eight-legged horse named Slepnir. Now, Slepnir, his eight-legged steed, uh, assisted him in the battles when Odin would go to war. When Odin would slay his enemies, Slepnir would eat the carcasses of the fallen, and Slepnir's muzzle was always red. Was always red with blood. Odin would uh, would came from the north. Up far up in the north, he lives in the North Pole. Odin lives in the North Pole. And that his servants, his worshippers, the people who believed in him, that once a year around Yuletide, Odin would come flying on Slepnir, flying through the sky on Slepnir, his eight-legged steed with the red muzzle, and he would grant gifts unto his followers. And what his followers would do is they would put boxes and boots, boots, on their front porch, and he would fill the boxes and boots with weapons and needs and accessories or things or whatever the people needed. You know, the stockings by the fireplace. So, Odin also is, is a massive glutton and drunkard. A massive glutton and drunkard with no morals. He has no morals. Odin is a rapist. He's a drunkard. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a witch. 
and he and he's committed massive atrocities and many many different kinds of sins let's take a look at santa claus long red coat big white beard comes from the north massive drunkard glutton likes to flander around with other people's women according to the songs flies through the sky on a sleigh pulled by nine reindeer wait eight and the front has a red nose so there's eight reindeer and one that has the red nose that and and that santa claus is all seeing all knowing and could be everywhere at once rewards his followers breaks the law is criminal sinful has magic abilities and what else so he breaks into places and he's and he uh, puts he fills the stockings with gifts i swear when you when you lay it all down i would bet you if you were able to find out that coca-cola came across the ancient north uh, nor, nor, uh, norse myths of odin and repackaged it as santa claus everything everything just there's so many things i'm forgetting some points but uh but uh if you actually write them down point by point by point by point by point the argument is just too solid it's way too solid. Santa Claus is Odin. Give that some thought. You can accept that, reject that all you want. It doesn't matter. But I just thought it's an interesting argument. Because someone asked about Santa Claus, so there we go. So when you're teaching your children about Santa Claus, you're teaching them about the false god Odin. And here's a question. Even if he's not. Here's the thing. Santa Claus is a god. He's a god. He's all-seeing. Santa Claus is all-seeing. All-knowing. Omnipresent. He's a god. You're teaching your children about false gods, to believe in false gods. And, you know, my wife actually told me, when she was really little, uh, when she was a li little girl, um, her parents were telling her about Santa Claus when she was a little girl, as many years ago. And uh, and my wife pipes up one day and, and says, Santa Claus can knows everything, sees everything, is all powerful. Is Santa Claus like Jesus? If you're telling your children myths and stories and legends and things like that, like Santa Claus and these other creatures, and they grow up and find out that Santa Claus and those 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 supernatural creatures don't exist, what do you think that's going to do for them when you start telling them about Jesus? Just a thought. Just something to think about. All right, so let's go down through the comments here. 
All right. So Jen says, sorry, I was talking about when they light the candles every week in, in meaning of the words during Advent. Oh yeah. That, yeah, that, for example, that kind of thing, that's, that's Orthodox traditionalism. That's Orthodox tradition. That has nothing to do with the Bible. That is straight up religious tradition. Now, I have nothing to do with that myself. If you want to light candles on the way up, that's completely up to you. But you don't have to. You're under no obligation to have to. But it comes from orthodoxy. It comes from Catholicism. So, there you go. All right. Okay. Uh, Space says, the issue is we don't really know what day Jesus is really born, do we? Actually, we do have a pretty good idea. Now, you actually, you actually have to use a Jewish calendar and you have to go do the study. I, that has been many years since I've looked into this. I can't remember exactly. Um, some people say it was spring. Some say it was fall. Some, uh, some are arguing still that it's this, this December. It's not December. Uh, that actually, according to Jewish calendar, Jesus was born in September. According to Jewish calendar, Jesus was born in September. So then why are we having it in December? Look at it as a, as a belated birthday party. That's how I personally look at it. It's a belated birthday party. That I'm throwing a belated birthday party for Jesus. What's wrong with that? I dare anyone to tell me that's wrong. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm safe. My Christmas tree is plastic. <laughs> good. Okay. That's a good one, Michael. Okay. Uh, Ivan says, question. I think I heard you say you're free grace before. Okay. What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate? Elaborate. Uh, do you believe in a change after salvation? Okay. Now, there are people who take the term free grace and they run amok they they go crazy with it and they run wild with that um, that means that they then have license and liberty to go and live and do whatever they want and that's the argument that you see the workspacers fighting the the workspace heretics are fighting the free grace heretics uh, the ones that abuse grace now here's the question is Grace free. Is grace free? Someone answer me. Okay. Ivan says yes. Absolutely. Is grace free? Well, to answer this one, to understand this one, we have to go back and revisit the meaning of grace. All right. Can somebody tell me what does grace mean? What does grace mean? We have everybody saying, yes, it's free. Okay, but what does grace mean? Ivan says unmerited favor. Would the rest of you agree with that? Or what, what would you say? What does grace mean?
Grace. I'll help you out. Is the unmerited favor of God. As Jen says, unmerited gift of God. Uh, Kimberly says it is something that's a gift that is given and there's nothing you can do to earn it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That I didn't merit it. I don't deserve it. It's not a reward. I didn't earn it. But he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. It's nothing of me. It's all of him. It's absence of self to the nth degree. Literally, virtually nothing of me. All of him. That's what grace is. The unmerited, unmerited favor of God. So if it's the unmerited favor of God, then that then means it's free. That it's not hinged on me. That my doing or not doing does not affect it because it was given to me despite myself. Here's a quick question, folks. Can I become sinless here on earth, in this life, me in this body, this flesh body, right here, right now? Can I attain sinlessness? Can I attain sinlessness? No, Ivan says. Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Olga says, no. Jen says, nope. Never here on earth. All right. The Bible says, no, you cannot attain sinlessness. You cannot become sinless. So the Bible says, God says that, that, that our bodies are corrupted by sin. That you're going to sin. There's nothing you can do about it. Your flesh wars with your spirit and you cannot do the things you would. And that, uh, that while you're in this body, you are fighting sin constantly. By way of thought, word, or action, you're going to sin. It's going to fight you on everything. Okay. So these individuals who deny grace, they seem to think that you can attain sinlessness and that you can attain moral perfection and you can attain sinless perfection where you're not going to be sinning all the time. And sorry to break it to you, but all sin is willful sin. And that trying to find a way to label sin differently, that, well, they sin willfully. I don't sin willfully. I sin, but it's not willfully. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, who is making you sin then if it's not you? Well, well, it's me that's sinning. Okay. Um, are you doing so willingly? Do you, are you choosing to sin in the moment? Are you doing these things of your own volition, of your own will, of your own power, of your own choice that you chose to sin that sin in that moment yourself? Well, yeah, then all sin is willful sin. So what you literally are doing is, okay, which one is it? Is this again? Oh, I uh, thank the Lord that I don't sin willfully like all these others. I'd still sin, but I don't sin like their sin. My sin is different sin. My sin is of a different kind of sin. Their sin is black sin. My sin is just a little lighter shade of black sin. Uh-huh, yeah, okay. You know how stupid that sounds? 
Oops, wrong button. There we go. So it's so stupid. All sin is willful sin. All sin is willful sin. These people who who fight against grace don't understand what grace is. So we go back to the point about free grace. The reason it's free is because it's grace. Because it's not dependent on us because we are wretched sinners saved by grace and that you can't earn it you can't maintain to keep it you can't self-atone you can't do anything and you're gonna just keep on sinning and there's no stopping it that's why he saves you by grace because there's literally virtually nothing you could possibly do to earn to gain maintain to keep or self-atone that's why it's free grace it's given freely because it's grace because we're sinners and there's nothing we could possibly do to earn to gain or maintain to keep it these people who deny free grace don't understand the bible they don't understand grace there you go i hope that makes sense so yeah i call myself a free gracer because grace is free it's not earned. If grace is earned, it's not grace. Grace ceases to be grace the moment you have to earn it, maintain to keep it, self-atone it, you have to work for it. Grace is absence of self, all of God. It's all of him, none of me. It has nothing to do with me. There you go. All right, so I hope that all makes sense. Okay, Jen has a statement here jen says christmas also helps draw unbelievers to church and to know the lord that's how i was saved during the month of december two years ago exactly exactly so let me read for you an argument on this now again if you don't want to celebrate it you're under no obligation to have to just listen to this for a moment as for celebration of holidays it's up to personal choice but again depending if you're a calvinist then maybe you're 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 it's preordained but it would be a shame to pass up any and all opportunities to evangelize the gospel of jesus christ the apostle paul actually set a precedent for this now, the Apostle Paul would be railed upon by the individuals who hate Christmas, the Grinches. Uh, that These individuals who hate Christmas and rail against Christmas, uh, they would rail against the Apostle Paul if they were back in his time because the Apostle Paul went and stood on Mars Hill in the middle of all the idols and Apostle Paul used the altar to the unknown God as a springboard to preach to them to the, go the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they don't, which they didn't know. So if the Apostle Paul can use the altar of the unknown God from Mars Hill, the, the, uh, the garden of the gods, uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I can use Christmas to preach Jesus Christ to the unsaved. So regarding Christmas or Easter or any other holiday, whether it was or wasn't pagan, isn't the point. But rather understanding that the entire public sees these holidays as Christian. They see it as Christian, and they identify it as such. That's why they hate it, and they fight against it, and they're trying to suppress it. Thus, using this as an opportunity to reach out and witness to them about Jesus Christ, instead of confusing the unsaved, 
by fighting within ourselves over such petty, stupid things. You got you got the Grinch Christians over here, and then you got then you got the the holiday loving Christians over here bickering and fighting amongst themselves. It just confuses the unsafe public because they that the whole world already sees and identifies Christmas and Easter as something Christian, anyways. So, I don't understand why you'd fight. So Christmas is publicly seen as synonymous with the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, we know he wasn't born on Christmas. That's not the point, though. The point is it's a holiday to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, that he did come. And if this holiday gives me a chance to speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it. This is one of the few times the unsaved public are most likely to litness. To litness. I'm dyslexic. I can't read fast. Okay, this is one of the few times the unsaved public are most likely to listen to witnessing and attend church and not be hardened against Jesus Christ. Where generally throughout the year, they would never darken the door of a church, but they're more inclined to actually come to church and, li and listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be a shame to pass up an opportunity to use this. Whether we like it or not, Christmas and Easter is a time that Western culture allows Christ-centered ideology to surface without massive backlash. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, the, the great evangelist Charles Spurgeon, was actually in favor of using Christmas for outreach. He said it's an excellent time for reaching the hearts of men with Christ. So why, and all that is holy, would I would would I not take this opportunity to present Jesus Christ to the unsaved? To to condemn this, you would have to, in the same breath, condemn the Apostle Paul for using the altar of the unknown God on Mars Hill. I think that warrants another mic drop. All right. There we go. Let's move on. Okay. Okay. Ivan says, okay, we're, we're talking about the, the red letter Christian people. Uh, Ivan says, I was referring to people that magnify certain scripture over another as better. Well, when I said the red letter Christians, they magnify Jesus' words over other scriptures. Okay. Let's talk about that one for a moment. I I, w I thought that's what you most likely meant by that. So I'm, I, I thank you for the clarification. Okay, so I was right in what I was thinking. Um, but yeah, so let's take a look at this. Yeah, exactly. All right, so with the red letter, the, the words of Jesus, uh, some say the words of Jesus are, are more powerful and better than all the other words in the Bible. Okay, um, those people then don't understand who Jesus is. Um, let's look at first Timothy three sixteen for a moment. Okay. Can someone tell me, can someone tell me in the comments who authored the scriptures? Who gave the scriptures? Where did the scriptures originate from? Who is the author of the scriptures? 
Olga says God. Angela says God. Who is the author of the scriptures? Okay. Jen says God. All right. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Okay, that's 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. Acts 20.28. 20, God purchased the church with his own blood. 1 John 5.20. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. John chapter 1 verses 1 and 14. The word which was God became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay. Let me just break this down for you if you're one of those uh, hyper red letter people. Alright. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God, manifested in the flesh. All the Bible is spoken by God, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. And there's not one passage of the Bible that is superior and better than any other. They all, it all goes together. It all tells one fluid story from Genesis to Revelation. And that, and that what Jesus is saying, he's repeating the rest of scripture he's the one that gave all the scriptures god gave all the scriptures exactly and that this nonsensical hyper mystic nonsensical ideology that certain verses and passages are more powerful and better than the others or whatever is nonsense that's nonsense yeah Let's move on. All right. Uh, okay. So with this, okay. So second, I want to find out where I left off here in the comments before we move on. Um, okay. There we are. Okay. So next on the board, some things I want to talk about. Back to this. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, I made a, a couple posts on Instagram, Facebook, made some comments on YouTube, and I got some big backlash. And uh, I just want to comment on this for a moment. Now, the posts and the stuff that I had mentioned was in regards to how I personally do not respect other religions. Well, I don't. Because... They're religions of devils. If you're one of those individuals that says that we should be respecting the beliefs of other people, then you obviously do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have no respect of God. You have no respect of the Bible. And you don't understand sin. And you don't understand what scripture is saying. And you don't obviously understand Jesus Christ. So how could you say we should respect other religions? When they're the belief systems that were fabricated, created, fashioned by the minds of devils to deceive people against the truth and deceive them into hell. 
You are literally saying that we should respect the ideologies of devils. We should respect the false religions, false gospels created by devils to deceive people into hell. I will never, ever, 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 you can't make me ever respect the belief systems of other religions of other false gospels when the bible says that other gospels are accursed of god and are abominations so you're literally contradicting god saying god is wrong scripture is wrong jesus is wrong and that we should be respecting devils i will never do that i will never ever respect the icons, artifacts, images of other belief systems. I will never, ever respect the, the scriptures and ho holy books or whatever of other religions. I will never, ever respect the belief systems, the religions, uh, other religions out there. I respect people because people were made in the image of God. Absolutely, absolutely, without question. I'll respect any persons. Not a problem. Because all people are made in the image of God. Male and female created he, he them. All people are made in the image of God. That all people are of one blood, as the Bible says. Made in the image of God. And that Christ atoned for the sins of the whole world. And that, that God so loved them and he wants them to be saved. Absolutely. I'll respect the people. But I am under no obligation whatsoever in any stretch of the imagination. Under any obligation to have to respect the ideologies. And the religions of other people. I respect the persons. I love the persons. I'm under no obligation to have to respect and love their beliefs. I love and respect only one. I love and respect the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who saves by grace through faith, by belief alone. I love and respect the word of God, the holy scriptures, the Bible, that these words that God gave, I love and respect nothing else. And if you don't agree with that, then you don't understand God, you don't understand the Bible, you don't understand Jesus. How can you call yourself a Christian if you would betray the Lord by respecting other belief systems that put him on the cross? Other belief systems that are sending people to hell. So there you go. So I want to mention that. Okay, so... Hope you understand that. Hope that makes sense. And if you're going to come back to me and say, yeah, well, I think, I feel. You wouldn't believe how much I get that. I get that all the time. On Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, I get that all the time. I'll make absolute clear-cut arguments like this. Bringing up scripture and verses and passages, proving it, backing it up. And I still get, yeah, well, I think, I feel, I believe. You think, you feel, you believe against the word of God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and today we're just starting fires. So I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amen. So with this, let's got to bring this back. 
Oh, I got to shrink this up. This is way too big. I'm getting used to this program now. Getting pretty good with it. There we go. When you know what you're about to say is going to cause a theological storm, but you got to say it anyways. <laughs> okay, so with that, um, it's my Viking blood. I, I'm combative. I love debating. I love arguing. Hey, if you want to, if if you want to have differing opinions, if you want to disagree with me, look. Just to let you know, I'm not gonna move. I'm not moving from the Word of God. If you can show me definitively from the Word of God, without contradicting any other point of Scripture, I'll concede. Because I believe Scripture. My mind is held captive to the word of God. My conscience is held captive to the word of God. You have to show me from the word of God. You have to use arguments from the word of God to convince me. So I, I, I will die on this hill of, of scripture. So, And uh, you'll be fighting a Viking. <laughs> okay. Space says, Question, did you have a mentor to be a pastor or did you get there on your own? And is there such a thing as a do-it-yourself Christian or is the assembly an important part? Wow, okay. Um, there's a bunch of stuff in that, in that question. All right, so firstly, my mentor, actually, I would have to credit my dad, Pastor Paul. I personally have never met an individual. I'm not just saying this because he's my dad. I'm saying this honestly. I have never met an individual as sound as him, biblically. Uh, I mean, he has it wired down. He knows scripture like you couldn't imagine. Uh, and he, like me, unwavering unwavering on the word of god he knows he knows more scripture than you could possibly count he has answers for everything and and if he and if he doesn't know he he has all he knows where to look he knows how to study he knows how to figure it out he is one of the most sound doctrinal theologically sound individuals you could imagine the powerful scholar theologian on the word of god uh, he he mentored me, taught me, showed me how, how to go about this. And uh, he did it very simply. Very simply. You know how he did it? Handed me a Bible. Said, read it. When you're done reading it, read it again. Read it again. And again. And again. And again, read it slowly, read it carefully, read it meditatively, study the words, study the verses, pay attention to the context, pay attention to who is speaking, what exactly are they saying, look up the meaning of the words that they're using, believe this, study this, read this, hold to this, and this only. Anyone can do that. 
and it's not a do-it-yourself. There's no such thing as a do-it-yourself. You have to have the Spirit of God. You have to be born again. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're not going to understand this book, no matter how many times you read it and study it and try to figure it out. It won't make any sense to you. In prayer and fasting, and that's the other thing that my dad brought up, is pray. Pray lots. Pray while reading it. Pray before you read it. Pray while you're reading it. And pray after you're reading it. And fast and pray. Give it to the Lord. And believe what it says, no matter what anyone else says. You hold to this and this only. What does this say? I took some courses through Andersonville Theological Seminary. I did a couple courses and then I stopped. I didn't get I, I didn't get any degree. I have no degrees. Because everything that they they were saying the Bible already said and it was I was already able to figure it out. An ignorant farm boy a broke beggar of a farm boy, uneducated farm boy, can pick up the word of God and become a theologian. Ignorant fishermen, poor shepherds. Anybody with the fear of God and love of the scriptures can become a powerful evangelist and preacher of the word of God. All you got to do is carefully Carefully read this, study this, hold to this, believe this. What does this say? Nothing else. Doesn't matter what anyone else says, what anyone else wrote, or any other book, or any other thing. What this says. You only need this. Yeah, well, reading is, it can be confusing. If you're not paying attention to it, that's the point of the work, to do the due diligence, like the Bereans, is you put your finger on the part that's confusing, keep reading. It'll clarify it. It will explain itself. The Word of God explains itself. It clarifies itself. It repeats itself. It lays everything out. And that an ignorant farm boy can be just as knowledgeable as the high-degreed theologian. You don't need degrees to, to understand the Word of God. You don't need commentaries to understand the Word of God. You don't need any other book. You need the Word of God to understand the Word of God. And you understand the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And that the Spirit of God will reveal it to you if you would but just ask. And that's what I did. I prayed and fasted and prayed. And I asked the Lord for wisdom. I asked Him for knowledge and understanding. I directly, specifically asked the Holy Spirit of God to teach me. As the Word of God said, this, uh, that He would give us His Spirit, who will teach us all things and cause us to be in remembrance of everything which He has told us. And I, I mentioned that verse. I said, look, you said this, and I'm asking you for that. That you would help me to remember everything that you said. That you would help me to understand. You would help me to have the wisdom and the knowledge of your Word. And He did. The wisdom that I have came not from man, but from the Word of God. The wisdom and the understanding that I have came not from other books, but from this. I don't believe any man. I don't believe any other book. I believe this. 
I don't care who or what you are. I believe this. Anybody can do this. All you got to do is hold to the word of God unwaveringly. What it says is what it means, and you search it all out. Scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth to be a student of the word of God, a Berean of the scriptures, to search out all scriptures to see if these things are so. What does the word of God say specifically? That's what matters. To be a mentor. To be a mentor of the word of God is to not be a mentor of the word of God. You're not the mentor. The word of God is. This is a lie. All we do is say to the people who want to understand the word of God is go to that person over there. You see the Holy Spirit over there? He'll teach you. Because I can't teach you the scriptures, the Spirit of God does. I can tell you all the arguments and all the details, and it won't make any sense to you unless the Spirit of God is working on you. The Spirit of God is the mentor. The Word of God is the mentor. The Word of God is alive. And every word is alive. Every word is powerful. That's how you learn it. All right. Now, there's a follow-up in your question is there such a thing as a do-it-yourself Christian, or is the assembly an important part? And that's actually one of the things that we we're going to be talking about. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Because there's a big, 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 big problem today. And that is people shirking, shunning, ignoring the assembling of the church. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And people say, yeah, well, that's what we're doing online. Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't see any of you people here. How is this assembling if we're not assembled? The word assembled in the bible when it says assembling of yourselves together the words specifically mean physically to physically actually gather together for church digital online zoom doesn't count it does not count and you can get all worked up about that and getting all getting all uh I'll angry about that all you want. But you can't change the meaning of the word of God. Say, well, I think, well, you think wrong. Well, I feel you feel wrong. Well, I believe you believe wrong. What the word of God says, what the word of God says, and that's what it means. It means gather together. Well, all the other churches, there's no other churches around. Okay, let me ask you a question. Are there any other Christians in your area that you are aware of? Go gather with them at their place, your place, or somewhere else. But the point is to gather together. The Lord says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. You know, two or three of you gather together as church. As you gather together, you read the word of God, you praise the Lord, worship our Lord, study the scriptures, 
that's church. You gather together to worship Christ, to celebrate the, to celebrate Christ and to study the scriptures. That's not hard. It's not hard. It's just people don't do things because they just don't want to. And they say, well, I could just sit in my pajamas in my home with a cup of coffee, sit back, and I don't have to do anything. Okay, where's the respect? Where's the respect of the scriptures? Where's the respect of worship? And where's the obedience of the commandments of God when God commanded to gather together physically? Say, so, well, I think, you know, online digital Zoom is, is, is okay. Look, online digital broadcasts or whatever is one thing. It's not a replacement for church. This is not church. This is listening in to some, listening to some teachings and all this, but church as definition according to the word of God is the actual physical gathering of the saints together for the worship of God. Digital doesn't count. This doesn't cut it. This, this can be a temporary help until you can get to church and you will risk life and limb to get to doctor's appointments, to get to the store, to get to your job. You, 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 will, uh, you will brave all kinds of weather. You'll drive 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour to get to appointments. How far will you drive for church for worship of God? God says... Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But rather more and more, as you see the day approaching. And as a great sign that I saw, and I posted it everywhere. The problem with missing church is soon you won't miss church. Well, we are the church. Right. And where's the assembling of it? So there you go. Space says, I bet the perfect Christmas present for Pastor Matt would be some coffee and a cool sword. <laughs> Look, I'm not stopping you if you if you want to get me some of that. I'm not stopping you. That would be awesome, though. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, sure. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love weapons. I love coffee. I love all that stuff. That's great. Uh, all right. So on a different note, just to uh, bring some levity into this. I, now, I have a another Instagram account that's my personal account for me. You know, that's from behind the scenes. So you can see who I am, what I'm like, the things I like, and all this kind of stuff. I put some weird stuff, crazy stuff up, some funny stuff. Um, yeah, some different excursions, things we do, some uh, my weightlifting, uh, different stuff for me, and uh, uh, hikes and stuff. Um, all right, there's a guy who has an awesome uh, YouTube channel, a great ministry, where uh, James from uh, he ha he runs the uh, Hero Projects channel, the Hero Projects. Now, what he does is he he uh, helps teach and instruct 
biblical manhood, biblical uh, family structure, family order, and he calls out the injustices and the things that are done in this world against children and all that kind of stuff. He calls out feminism and shows you what the Word of God actually teaches on all these different kinds of things. Excellent content. Great stuff. Well, all right. I have a confession. I love the Ninja Turtles. I know it sounds weird. I like the Ninja Turtles. I'm a big fan of Ninja Turtles. I've always have been. And since I was six, and uh, when the movies came out and the cartoons, I've been a big fan of the Ninja Turtles. Always have been. Uh, I still am. I still, to this day, yes, yesterday, I watched some Ninja Turtle cartoons. All right? I confess. But I love it. It's great. It's funny. Uh, and anyways, James also loves the Ninja Turtles. We're both huge Ninja Turtle fans. I, he is a martial artist. So am I. He trained using nunchucks. And his favorite Ninja Turtle is Michelangelo. I trained in using the size. And I love Raphael. Um, so we got into a little bit of a thing yesterday. Taking pictures of our weaponry and putting it up on our on our accounts and uh, putting digital uh, tunes to it. And uh, I, well, I had a lot of fun yesterday with that. We had a great time talking all about this kind of stuff and just joking around. And uh, so, yeah, so just a little bit about me there. So there you go. Just some, some funny stuff. Hey, I'm I'm human. I'm like everyone else. And I, I have my flaws, and my flaws is the Ninja Turtles. So there you go. A bit about me. But, uh, yeah, so, hey, what do you like? Do you, have, do, do you have any secrets to confess in there? Are you a Ninja Turtle fan? If you train in the martial arts, do you like weapons? And what stuff do you like? Hey, let people know who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Uh, just, who are you? What do you like? What are your interests? So there you go. Uh, have fun. Have fun. Enjoy life. Laugh. There you go. You don't have to. You don't have to be all all long face, horse faced, and you can. You have to. You have. And you can never do anything fun. Okay. There. There's fun, and then there's sin. As long as your fun isn't sin. Some people say, "Well, weapons are sin." Is that why Jesus says, "If you don't have a sword, to sell your cloak and buy one"? Ooh. All right. So there you go. So weapons isn't sin. You know, learning how to defend yourself isn't sin. Okay. All right, so Space has a question. What are your thoughts on nativity scene sets? They're displays of what people think the nativity of Christ may have looked like. There's nothing wrong with it. They would say, well, well, we're not supposed to have images. We're not supposed to have images. All right, if you go to Exodus chapter 20 and you read it again, you'll see what it says about images it's talking about imagery for the purpose of worship where are you setting these things these icons these images up as actual articles of worship are you worshiping the nativity scene then you got a bit of a problem um it's just a display to help with the visualization and to and for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ that he did come that it, that it was fulfilled that there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that 
Yeah, not other than uh, now. If you want to be hyper hyper technical, the wise men were not at the nativity of Christ. They actually showed up when Jesus was a couple years old. If you actually go by the Jewish calendar, uh, that the, the wise men actually were not at the nativity. So just to be technical, but is it is it wrong then to show and display? It? No, it's not wrong, because they did come after he was born. You know, so there's nothing wrong with that. So there you go. And space says, by the way, Jesus got cool gifts like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. <laughs> there you go. Wish I got gold as a Christmas gift. All I get are shaving kits. Uh, you should grow a beard. Stop shaving it. Okay. Mario says, I do not understand why Santa Claus drinks Coca-Cola. <laughs> if I'm at the North Pole, I'd be drinking like hot coffee or hot chocolate. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Yeah, what in the world is he doing drinking, drinking cold drinks? There Actually, no. Sorry. Confession. As a Canadian, I can attest to that even in the middle of winter, minus 20, minus 30 degrees, having cold drinks outside, it's, yeah, I've done that, uh, cold pop or something, or freezies, popsicles, bowls of ice cream, middle of winter. Um, hey, we still, I, I usually make it a point just to annoy people uh, in the middle of winter, minus 10, minus 20, we'll have a barbecue. Is our barbecue is but right by my door. I'll go outside in shorts and flip flops and and minus twenty to work on the barbecue and barbecue up steaks in the middle of winter. I'm Canadian and I'm Viking, and I I can handle it. Other people would freeze to death. Hey, I find it fun and funny. <laughs> I'm crazy. Yes, I am. Okay. Jen says, uh, some things about Christmas seems like a perversion of Christianity, like using Christian terms, but without anything to do with Jesus. Right. And the point is, is taking things back for the celebration of our Lord. Um, uh, holy reclamation is what I call it. Holy reclamation is reclaiming these things in the name of our Lord. Is yes, we're worshiping Jesus Christ and the world tries to bring in Santa Claus. We're worshiping Jesus Christ and the world tries to bring in chocolate egg laying rabbits and we try to celebrate jesus christ and they bring in all kinds of other crazy weird things yeah they, they try to pervert uh, pervert our, our sundays or where it's supposed to be church day we gather to worship for the lord and they try to turn it into like another saturday right the world is going to do say have be all kinds of crazy psycho things we ignore what the world does we we celebrate our lord they want to worship trees let them worship trees they want to worship rocks let them worship rocks they want to worship the stars let them if they want to identify as pine trees let them that's their thing that that let the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing we're going to celebrate our lord yep okay space says uh, now that I think of it, a snowman coming to life would be scary. Okay, let me ruin Frosty the Snowman for you.
Do you even recall the story? Frosty the Snowman? You re do you remember what happened? So some kids were building a snowman. Are snowmen bad? No, no, they're not. They're making a snowman. And there's a wizard, a sorcerer, whose magic hat, this his, his demonically enchanted hat, which, which technically by actual technical terms of occultism is called a haunted object. That's a demonically possessed object where spirits and the powers of spirits are actually bound to an object. This wizard sorcerer's hat blew over and they were able to get a hold of this, this enchanted object. They placed this enchanted object on, on the snowman and the snowman comes to life and that is called a golem. A golem is a humanoid figure, uh, regardless of what the material is used to form the humanoid shape. A golem is a, a humanoid figure that is spell cast and animated by the powers of the occult. So Frosty the Snowman is actually, by definition of occult, a demonically possessed golem. I just ruined Frosty for you. Just saying. Just saying. Think about it. Okay. Michael says... Okay. Michael says, So not to harp on stuff, but strictly speaking, in following the law, does Deuteronomy 16, 16 teach the men need to go to Jerusalem three times, a, three times a year? Okay, now. So we see that in the Word of God, there's the definition, uh, uh, the two-point definition of the law. There's the, the cultural laws, and then there's the righteous laws. You see, the problem with a lot of people is they kind of conflate the two as one. And these two, these two points, the cultural laws and the righteous laws, become one superset of law. No, they, they are different and they're not meant to overlap in that way. Now, the cultural laws, as we see by Acts chapter 15, it was clarified by the Apostolic Council by the apostles in Jerusalem. It says, It seemed good unto us and to the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God was present and working through the apostles in the Apostolic Council of Acts 15 in instructing and teaching the apostles that the cultural laws were done away. That the cultural laws were done away and no longer applicable or necessary or needed. Like dietary laws... Uh, protocol laws on all of those kinds of things. And the going to Jerusalem thing would also fall under this because the point of that was to go to the temple, which now we see in the scriptures, we are the temple. 
In Acts 15, we see that laying down it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, which are, which we see there about um, not eating uh, meat, sacrifice, and idols, abstaining from fornication, and so on. And so we're no longer under the cultural laws. Now, the righteous laws of God, the righteous laws, the laws specifically as handed down by God to to define the differences between the holy and the profane as in uh, instructing of what is sin and what is not that is still in effect and now we are no longer under the weight of the condemnation of the righteous laws as we are freed from that we're under grace now the righteous laws of god are are a help meet to us to help us to understand the differences in things to see what is sin and what is not according to the word of god so the going to Jerusalem falls under the cultural laws and also for the protocol for the purpose of going to the temple, which now we are the temple. We are the living temples of God. Spirit of God dwells within us and we're the royal priests of the living temple of God. So technically, according to the word of God, then Deuteronomy 16, 16 is no longer in effect because we see the new covenant of the New Testament given by given by Christ. Uh, uh, the order instruct were under grace and it's clarified even more in these things through the apostolic council of acts 15. okay okay angela has a question is it okay to like music that is not christian as long as it doesn't have bad lyrics in it yes uh, again, you want to look down. Okay, is it okay to have fun? Yes. It is fun a physical thing that affects the flesh and affects the physical and material. Yes. Is it wrong to have fun? No. Is it wrong to seek pleasures? No. Is it wrong to eat junk food? No. Is it sin? No. No. All right. It is listening to guitar playing that necessarily may not come from a Christian be technically sin or wrong? No. It depends what the content is about. What is it glorifying? What is it promoting? What is it, uh, what's the purpose of it? So, no. It, it, as long as it's not promoting and glorifying things that are uh, directly contradictory to the Word of God, no, it's not wrong. You can listen to music. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing my workouts, whether I'm using uh, doing cardio workout or weightlifting or whatever, I listen to, uh, uh, I like it, it's called 8-bit, it's, it falls under EDM, 8-bit uh, glitch, it, it's really catchy, upbeat, catchy, it's really fun to listen to, it sounds like old video game uh, kind of themes, it's really catchy stuff, and, and you add beats to it and different kinds of stuff, I like listening to that while I'm working out, uh, it's fun, it's funny, I, I like listening to it um there's other songs there's stuff around i like to listen to yeah sure it's i'm very very picky about my music um some people prefer only hymns yeah that's fine okay that's your choice that's your liberty that's your liberty you can listen to and not listen to whatever you want in that way as long as it's honoring unto the lord you can listen to it um as long as it doesn't contradict the word of god it's fine um so yeah so yeah go for it just i'm not a fan of country or jazz i'll, I'll just confess that i i 
don't like jazz or country music. I'm sorry if that offends. Hey, Space and I have debated this one a lot. We've debated this one. The music he likes, I'm not a fan of. And he knows it. We're always uh, ragging on each other about that. But <laughs> All right. Okay, let's keep going down through the comments. Okay, Angela has a question. Very good question here. Does God have any advice on how to keep a marriage strong? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot on this, uh, on this throughout the Word of God. Now, the biggest point, as Scripture says, the two become one. The two become one. And the Bible talks about to, to, to give the due honor, love, and respect unto your spouse. And the man is to love his wife as he, would love, as he loves his own body. Because the two become one flesh. You see, the big problem we see with a lot of failures in marriage is where there isn't equality. Now, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. When Christ isn't the sole focus and center of the marriage, the marriage will fall apart. When you love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to love your spouse. You're going to love your neighbor. You're going to treat others with the due respect and honor they deserve. Now, I want to be careful how I say this. I want to. I don't want to say say something wrong. But I have absolutely no respect to guys who iron fist control their wives and family. I have no respect for them. Guys who, who order and demand and control and strict control. And they run their families like a military boot camp. They order their, their women around like servants. That's not biblical. That's not godly. That's, that is so disrespectful and disgusting. Where's the gentleness? Where's the love? Where's the honor? Where, 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 where is Christ likeness in that? If you're one of those kinds of guys, you know, there, there's, I want to be careful how I say this, but you know what? There's a time when such individuals would be taken on the back 40 and horse whipped. That is disgusting. Mistreating your wives and, and abusing the respect and treating them like servants and slaves. That's, that's, that's that other religion. That's not Christianity. Christian, born again Christianity, biblical Christianity. It's Christ likeness and gentleness and love and honor and humility. Not sure there may be times you may bicker or whatever, but get over it and apologize and just swallow your pride and talk things out properly. Sure, there may be spats or whatever. That that's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen. But remember, forgive each other. Get over it. Swallow your pride and just seek peace. Seek peace. And you always have to get the last word. That's pride speaking. Is don't let pride ruin the marriage. Don't let pride rule the marriage. Nobody's better than anyone else. And technically, women, 
Women, God says, I'm just saying it, God says, and if you don't like this, take it up with him. If you get mad at this, you're mad at God. God says, the man is, is the head of the house. One big flaw to marriages and why marriages fall apart is because women try to take the authority away from the men. Women try to control the family. They think they're better. They think they know better. And they, and they try to bring in this worldly feminism in where they, where they undo the order of God from the scriptures and they try to take over. That's why the marriages fall apart. And men who are nothing but, but, uh, but, uh, yellow spine limp wristed soy boys who would rather hand the, the, the order over you need to man up and, and be biblical men take the order take the control as god meant it to be the order of god how, how a family's supposed to be and when a family is in the right biblical god-fearing order that marriage will survive where you forgive you love you respect you honor and the order of the family is biblical that marriage will survive. And the other thing, if you have problems with each other, talk it out. Stop fighting. That's pride speaking. That's pride. Swallow your pride. Me and my wife have been married for about 14 years. We've had spats. We've had issues. But we still absolutely love each other. And I look at her... Like I look at her, I looked at her on our wedding day. I saw her walking down the aisle. I still see her the same way. I absolutely love her. She's the best thing that happened to me in this life, and she's a lot smarter than me. But uh, but uh, do we have differences? Yes, absolutely. Do we butt heads often? But we talk things out. And in the heat of the moment, we try, we try to, to, to just let it go, not talk about it right now, we talk about it later. And we talk out our issues. We try not to bottle things up. Sometimes it happens, and, but we talk it out, and we get over it. And in the family, we're equals, because Christ is the head of the home. Now, yes, as the man, as the Bible says, I'm the head of the house, but I don't rule that. I'm not a ruler. I'm a husband. I'm not a ruler. I'm not the king of a castle. I'm a husband. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. When the guy gets in his head, he's the ruler. The marriage will fall apart. There needs to be love and honor and respect. And the same with the wife. She's the wife. She's the helpmeet. She stands at the guy's shoulder. The two are one flesh. They work together. The family, you need to work together. The husband and the wife works together. You'll have your differences, but you work together and you work it out. You love each other. You forgive each other. You help each other. You get over your differences. Each of them, the husband and the wife, are going to have things that's going to drive the other crazy. Get over it. That's the differences. Learn to live with it. Learn to adjust to it. If you can't learn to get over the things because you love them, then the marriage will fall apart. 
If you're holding in things and you're becoming bitter, the marriage will fall apart. It's better just talk about it. Be open and honest. Stop hiding secrets. Do not talk behind their back. Do not gossip and bicker about your spouse unto others. You respect your spouse. You protect them. You love them. You honor them. You defend them. Never backbite, bicker behind their back. Never never put them down in front of others. Mocking and saying, you know, my husband's so stupid. Or my wife is so... Don't you ever do that. Don't ever get drawn into that. Don't ever bicker about your spouse to others. You want to uphold them and protect them and love them. And you want to... You want to, you want to live with them and love them till death do us part. The problem is nowadays... You hardly see this. You hardly see biblical love. You hardly see love, honor, respect. You hardly see equality. You hardly see the two defending each other and helping each other and protecting each other and, and providing for each other. Yes, for each other. The one isn't just the sole provider. It takes two. The two are one flesh. You want the marriage to survive? Love each other undying love and finally stop looking around stop looking at other women women stop looking at other guys and stop dressing to impress other people if you're if you're doing yourself up dolling yourself up and and trying to because you want to impress other people other uh, female co-workers you want to impress other male co-workers that's cheating you're flirting with other people don't you dare flirt with other people don't you dare uh, look at other people to to uh, to to get all excited by other people don't look at porn don't be looking at other stuff don't be trying to gain the attention of other people like that you honor your spouse. You honor your wife. You honor your husband. The two are the one flesh. You protect each other. You honor each other. You love each other. You forgive each other. And you get over it when you have differences. That's what the Word of God teaches. That's how it's supposed to be. You want your marriage to survive? That's what, you, that's what you're supposed to do. You know... Uh, years ago at my previous job my co-workers couldn't believe it that my wife and I had been married for, for so many years they couldn't believe it they couldn't believe that we didn't even want a divorce they couldn't believe that, that we weren't interested in other people they couldn't believe it Because this is what is expected now. It's expected to get a divorce. That that you need to you need to prepare for the divorce. No. My wife and I are in it till death do us part. We have absolutely no plans. It's not even on the table. It's not even an option. Divorce. It's not an option. It's not an option. We're going to protect our marriage. We're going to defend it, protect it. We're going to fight for it. 
but we're going to hold it till death do us part. If you don't have that mentality, your marriage will fall apart. As, as what God has put together, let not man put asunder. And finally, if you want your marriage to be strong, Christ needs to be the center. Now we say that. Now what does that mean? Think about that. Christ mindfulness, Christ likeness, God fearing, God honoring, disciple of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. How would Christ be the center of the marriage? All his word, all his doctrine, all his theology, all his teaching, all that he said and done is loved and honored and feared by both of you, upheld. That the word of God is the law of the home. The scriptures are the law of the home. That if the word of God says something, that's what you both do. The two are one flesh. One heart, one mind, one body, one spirit. The two are one flesh. Work together, love the Lord, and now you're joined together as one in serving the Lord. You serve the Lord together. The marriage will will succeed. All right. Going down through. Mario has a point here. Okay, we were talking about the law earlier. Okay, you know, the Ten Commandments. Now, there's an interesting study. There's to do a study on the finger of God writing. You know, in the Word of God that I can recall, we see it three times. Three times in the Word of God. Firstly, the writing of the Ten Commandments on the tablets for, for Moses. Where the finger of God wrote them on the tablets. Secondly, we see it with Daniel. Where the writing of the finger of God on the wall, mine, mine, tikal, eupharsin, that means you've been weighed and found wanting. Uh, uh, the, the writing on the wall, that's the second. The third one is Jesus. And Jesus, when the uh, Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery, and they and they say, okay, what? Uh, and Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. But before he said that, it says he bent down and with his finger was writing in the sand. Now, just a moment. The Bible does not say what Jesus wrote with his finger. Was he just doodling? You know, let's draw the house. And there's the door. There's the window. There's the roof. Here's the sun. Was Jesus doing that? No. What was he doing? He's just drawing squiggles in the dirt? No. What was he doing? Well, if you read context, it says that they, they he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone and he stooped down and wrote with his finger in the sand and then it says and then from the eldest to the youngest that they that they turned and walked away that they were convicted and turned and walked away what would do that jesus saying, you are without sin and then he's writing with his finger take the previous context of writing the law with his finger i if I was a betting man, I would say Jesus is writing the Ten Commandments. You without sin cast the first stone. And he's writing the Ten Commandments and they see that they're just as guilty and they left. It's an interesting study. All right. Um, 
Okay, Jackie has a question. What does it mean that Jesus became sin? Todd White says some strange things. Can you do a teaching on it? Actually, I did. I already did a video uh, previously. If you look in my video playlist, I did a whole video on that one. Now, the becoming sin, the big flaw with Todd White, you see, doesn't understand the Bible at all. Now, becoming sin does not mean in the implication that Jesus literally turned into sin. That he he literally became a liar, a murderer, like Todd White is saying. That's that's stupid. That's not what that means. In the becoming sin means when you see in the in the scriptures about uh, the atoning the atonement sacrifice for sin is that sin demands uh, that the sin that the weight the weight of the law the judgment of the law demands a penalty for the price of sin. There must be death and blood for sin. And he became the penalty for sin. He became the atonement for sin. And he became the sacrifice for sin. That's what that means. Jesus is God. You see, Todd White doesn't believe that. Todd White does not believe that Jesus is Almighty God manifested in the flesh. And so here's the big problem with this. Saying that Jesus literally became liar, murderer, blasphemer, all those things, then God is not God. God is not God. Because God is righteous, holy, pure, that in him is no sin, he did no sin, he knew no sin. God is infinite in his righteousness, and sin cannot be in his presence. That God cannot lie. In him is no darkness, no shadow of turning. He's not the author of confusion. So how can God Almighty literally turn into and become sin? Not possible. It's not possible. Todd White and that charismatic crowd like Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, Joel Osteen, Todd White, Bill Johnson, all of them, Paula White, uh, John Hagee, all the rest of them literally do not believe that Jesus is almighty God manifested in the flesh like the word of God literally teaches he is. Jesus became the atonement for sin. He became the sacrifice for sin. He became that which took the penalty for sin. So in a court of law, in a court of law, we see an individual who is the criminal who is convicted. He committed the crime, right? He committed the crime. He, he robbed a bank, shot some people, and now he has the penalty that is upon him by the judge. Someone else stands up stands in their place they become the one who takes the charge for the crime but did they rob the bank no did they shoot the people no but they became the sin they be they became the criminal they stood in the criminal's place but they didn't do the crime but they're taking the penalty for the crime upon them for the other person. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did not become, in literal sense, the sin. We are the criminals. We committed the sin. Jesus did not commit sin. He did not become, in literal sense, sin. But he became the one that stood in our place for the, for the penalty for sin.
You see, doctrine and theology passes Todd White. He he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He he's he's uttering nonsenses, uh, nonsensical things and heresies. He needs to stop this. He needs to stop what he's doing. He needs to study the Word of God. And he needs to sit down, shut up, and actually pay attention to Scripture. He's doing more damage than good. All right. Angela says, you have Tim Hortons coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I had the coffee yesterday. I saved the cup because well, I like the cup and want to have a funny thing for the broadcast. So uh, I made my own coffee this morning and put it in the cup. But I had the Tim Hortons yesterday. All right. Uh, what flavor coffee? All right. Well, yesterday, my dad and I, we had to uh, go out to town and uh, I grabbed a a uh, large double double dark roast i prefer the dark roast it's really nice really good and double double uh, uh two cream two sugar it's really good it's a treat coffee it's more like candy than anything uh but the coffee that i made i use my french press um now i only have folgers right now uh so i was using folgers but uh what i do is i use a french press I take two heaping scoops of Folgers in the French press and I boil my water. I don't really boil it. I heat it up to it's between 165 and 170 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's perfect temperature so it doesn't burn the, the, the grains. And between 160 and 170. Pour that in, but you salt the grains too. You put a couple pinches of salt in. That actually takes away some of the bitterness and makes it more malty. And then you put the water in. Let it steep for about 25 minutes. You can do it shorter. Yes, 25 minutes because it really gets gets it so soaked up really good. Uh, get really good flavor with that. And then if you use sugar, I don't use sugar anymore. Very rarely do I use sugar in my own coffee. But I, I would use brown sugar instead of white. It gives it uh, even more malty uh, kind of flavor. Really rich uh, deep flavor, really nice. Use brown sugar instead of white. I, I use milk instead of cream. I generally drink my own coffee black uh, because when you do it this way, like I described French press, it's not bitter. That black coffee is not bitter when you do it this way. It's really nice. It's really rich flavored. Uh, but I used a little bit of milk this morning, so I cheated a little bit. There you go. Um, if you want, you can make your own flavors. There's what's called poor man cappuccino, where, where you take a flavored tea bag and in the French press or in the craft, if you're doing your own uh, uh, regular, is throw a flavored tea bag in the pot. So when you're making your coffee, it'll flavor the coffee like a, like a fancy cappuccino. Um, or you could take a little bit of, of uh, vanilla extract and put like half a cap a vanilla extract in the grinds and that'll flavor it like a vanilla flavored coffee. It's really nice. All right. Okay, we got to wrap this up real soon. I'm starting to burn out, starting to get pretty tired here. So we got to wrap this up soon so I can answer a few more questions. If I don't get to your question, I'm sorry. Just write your question down, bring it up, and then bring it up next time. Okay, Angela says, do Christians have other purposes here on earth than telling the unsaved about Christ? Well, you go back to Genesis. 
and you look at um, the purpose that God made Adam and he made Eve now God doesn't need anything he's God but it said but it says in Scripture that he wants us to be his friends God wants friends not that he needs friends he wants friends he wants us to walk with him and fellowship with him as friends and that God made all creation for our enjoyment that we are here to enjoy life enjoy God's creation to enjoy the scenery to enjoy all the things that he's provided to enjoy the 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 non sinful pleasures in this world and so we're here to have fun, enjoy life, and to be friends of God. And to invite others to come and understand, understand Him. To introduce others to our Father, to our friend, to our brother, to our Savior, to our Redeemer. Now that's what we're here for. To have fun, enjoy life, laugh. and If, if, if we could go back in time and hang out with Jesus, that's the attitude that's the kind of thing we see jesus laughing with his disciples going to the parties to the banquets to the weddings uh, be, being a social person and, and teaching people and doing stuff and experiencing life that's what we're here for um okay aaron has a question why do you think mother Teresa is in hell because she didn't believe the biblical gospel she was roman catholic she was a roman catholic nun and she staunchly dogmatically believed in roman catholicism she even said herself and you can look up her own statement she even said herself that she did not believe that she was saved she did not believe in the biblical gospel she believed in the roman catholic doctrines of self salvation where she could save herself by atoning for her own sins in purgatory that she had to earn her salvation by good works she did not believe in the biblical gospel so therefore uh, Teresa uh, was a staunch dogmatic Roman Catholic uh, she believed in the Roman Catholic uh, false gospel therefore she's not saved she's in hell so yeah okay All right, and going down through the comments here. Um, okay, you're talking about Todd White still. Todd White's not a Christian. I don't believe he is. He doesn't understand the gospel. He doesn't believe in the deity of Christ and from a biblical sense. Uh, okay, Angela Raphael, my favorite. Hey, there you go. Uh, yeah, I always like Raphael as uh, just the the fighting, the fighting style, the weaponry, and that kind of thing. That's what I like. Um, yeah, I I. I've uh, used, trained, and uh, practiced with many different forms of weaponry over the years. I even have some polypropylene size. These ones are for practice, for fun. Uh, uh, polypropylene plastic. Really good hardened ones. I, I really like these ones. These are fun. So, yeah. Uh, I uh, buy and uh, collect different forms of weapons. I got spears, swords, naganadas, nunchucks, uh, size knives of all kinds all kinds of stuff it's it's cool i like it it's fun um 
and as I said, I'm Viking. I even got myself a Vi well, it was given to me as a birthday gift, a Viking bearded axe. My wife, as she designed up some stuff, I, I wrote my name in Norse runes. That's that's my name in Norse runes on there. Um, on here, oh, there it is. My name in Norse runes, and she designed up some stuff on a really cool uh, Viking style. Oh yeah, I got all kinds of things. It's fun. It's fun. Have fun. Uh, okay, so you're talking about Justin Peters. Sorry, I'm trying to understand what the context is. Justin Peters or what he said. Oh yeah, I saw what he was saying about uh, Todd White. Yeah, Justin Peters is 100% on the money in regards to Todd White. Yeah. Um, okay. Going down through all the comments. Okay, Rosalie has a question here. Can animals sin? Well, Scripture says all creation groans because of sin. And what does that mean in context? That all creation is corrupted and everything that is alive will die. That there is death. Um, so all things are corrupted and inhabited by sin. Sin has inhabited all things that have life is inhabited by sin and will will die can will be corrupted and all this kind of stuff. So now what is sin according to the word of God? All unrighteousness is sin. And what is unrighteousness going against specifically the dictates of the righteousness of God? Of what God has clarified in his word as what is righteous. Can animals disobey the word of God? Well, they don't have knowledge of, they don't have awareness of the, the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. They don't know. They don't have the abilities to understand sin and righteousness. They, so technically, they have like the mind of a little child that doesn't know, doesn't understand. Uh, uh, they are just reacting on instincts. So, so technically, by, uh, by by the question, can animals sin? The answer would be no. They don't know what they're doing. And so, can they sin un, unaware? And uh, unaware? No, I don't believe so. I don't believe that that actual definition would be applied upon animals. Okay. Okay, uh, Rosalie asked about Jesus' birthday. We talked about that earlier, that if you go by Jewish calendar, it would be September, be in September. What exactly date or where around? I forget exactly. I just remember it was around September. Okay, Olga says, okay, should Christians be pro-Israel or against? Absolutely pro. Absolutely. Absolutely. Word of God even talks about this, that... Uh, that uh, about we are to pray for the peace of Israel, to pray for Jerusalem, to pray to pray for this, that they are uh, uh, still God's people, that Abraham's promise is still upon them. That's why they haven't been able to be wiped out. And that if you curse Israel, you go against the word of God. The word of God is pro-Israel. 
that Israel is given to Abraham as a promise to Abraham, as God promised that that his seed and that the, this land would be for Abraham and to Abraham's children forever, and that it, it will never be destroyed, and that we see God's promises of protecting and bringing back and preserving and all of this. That's why all the world hasn't been able to wipe them out. Now, um, is it's Israel belongs to the Jews? Israel belongs to the Jews and no one else. That's what the word of God says. And if you go against that, you go against the word of God. Um, so, yes, I, I am a Zionist because I believe in Israel. I, I believe in the preservation of Israel. I believe Israel belongs to the Jews because that's what the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. And that the promise of God, that God promised Abraham to protect them, it still applies. We are adopted into the family of Abraham by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the promises of God to Abraham then apply to us, that God will protect us and provide us and he will avenge us. That uh, those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. Also applies to us by adoption. But God still uh, still holds Israel. Yes, we're to pray for, defend, and uh, we're to bless Israel. I pray that their eyes will be open. They come to understanding. As just as the word of God says to anyone who says contrary to that doesn't understand the word of God. Okay. Let's go down through the comments. All right. Going down through. Uh, Olga talks about parents. Marriage is awful. They've been married for 30 years and they hate each other. That, and uh, that that wouldn't be if Christ of Scripture was the center of the home, center of the family. So you see the importance. You see what happens when you stray from the biblical order of things. Um, that's when chaos and corruption will come in. Yeah. And sorry to hear that. We're praying for your family. That it's possible for the Lord to fix it. That it's uh, that the Spirit of God opened their eyes, and uh, yeah, it's possible. So everybody who's here, that you pray for, uh, pray for Olga and her parents, all this, and for her family, and uh, yeah, the Lord can help. Okay, let's go down through. Okay, we're at the bottom. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name right. Hi, lol. Hi, lol. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Okay, these last two here by Halal and Mario are going to have to be the last last comments, last questions, and we'll have to wrap it up. Okay, so Halal says, Sir, is learning physics and about the universe a sin? No, it's not. Uh, does God get mad at me when I have this interest in learning about physics? No, absolutely not. Uh, now, there's science and there's science falsely so-called. False science. Now, what is false science? Like atheistic science. Uh, where there, it's not science, it's mocked up, falsified, uh, made up studies to try to figure out things can be without God. Uh, like saying like the, the duck can turn into a crocodile, or the T-Rex devolved into the farm chicken, or that, that matter can make itself, all that kind of nonsense. But um, now proper science and physics and all this stuff, astronomy, the Bible describes all this. Astronomy is in the bible physics is in the bible mathematics and uh uh 
medical science, all kinds of stuff, uh, biology's in here, how to treat diseases and stuff, and all different kinds of things is in here. All forms of science are in here, in this book. And that science is the study of God's creation, to see how he made it. That God made this stuff, and we're just kind of, you know, taking the clock that God made and kind of re-engineering it. Just see, how did he put it together? How did God put this together? How did he make this? How does, how does, how does everything work? How, does, how did God make this thing tick? That's all you're doing. Then there's literally nothing wrong with that. Literally nothing wrong with that. Um, that God enjoys that. It's like when the, when the parent makes a really cool thing and sets it down in front of the kid and the kid explores it and examines it. That's what we're doing. That God made the universe and we're exploring it and it makes it makes him smile. God loves science. He's not against science. Science proves scripture. Science proves God. Science is awesome. Go for it. Physics is awesome. If you can understand it, it's awesome. Go for it. And God loves it. Is give it to the Lord, for the Lord, by the Lord. See how the Lord put all things together, how it all works. And that's what it's for. So yeah, go for it. Um, Mario says, is it possible that the resolution about what Jesus wrote on the ground can be found in Jeremiah 17, 13? Possible. Let's see what it says. No, what did you say? Jeremiah 17. Verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. I, I guess you could... You could argue that though the problem is when you when you look at the context in the gospels there uh, when the when the pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery um jesus says you who are without sin cast the first stone then he stooped down and wrote in the ground and they beginning from the eldest to the youngest uh were uh, they were convicted and walked away now what would make them walk away that jesus was writing their names no um now how about writing the law so that they would see that they are sinful that they are not without sin because the point that they were making is that they were holier than the woman that they were better than the woman that they did not need to be judged and that Jesus said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. So what would cause them to stop what they were doing? They're, they're condemning of the woman and actually abandon this issue they brought up. Um, that's why I more, uh, I pose more the possibility that Jesus was writing with his finger the law because the other times we see in scripture as well that god is very specific in things and he does things for example and we see it, he does things in an order that the only time we see god writing with his finger is when he's writing law and judgment 
So the first time we see him writing the law on the tablets. The second time he's writing the judgment uh, by the by the breaking of the law, the judgment upon the king that Daniel explained with the writing the finger of God on the wall. Then we see the finger of God, Jesus, writing on the ground and causing the Pharisees to abandon their condemnation of the woman walk away after he stated who is without sin. So when you critically put these things together and think about this, it, it makes more sense that Jesus was writing with his finger the law to prove to them their sin. That even more specifically, it's possible he was writing their specific sins that they were guilty of. So, it's possible. Who knows? We're not going to we're not going to split the church on it. We're not going to uh, make it make it hardened doctrine that this is what he did. Yeah, it, it, this is a theory. It's what's called a biblical theory, a biblical theory. Uh, so a theory is not fact. A theory is not proof. Theory is not law. Theory is a guess, a professional guess. So doing the study on the scriptures, this is my uh, my theory on what I believe that Jesus was writing with his finger in the dirt. So you could disagree. You could agree. So there you go. All right. So with that, um, and regarding with, about the about the needle, what you're asking, I did a video just the other day, so uh, where I talk all about it. So please make sure you watch that video all about the needle. Uh, give that a watch. Listen to what I have have there. It'll uh, really help you with that. So I gotta wrap this up. So thank you so much, folks, for joining in. This has been great. This has been fun. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos, as well as check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We got uh, links to all our other platforms and a bunch of other goodies and stuff, so make sure you check that out too. And check out our other playlists, other videos. And with that, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.